Welcome to Real Parents, Real Results. I'm Tara Murphy. In this podcast series, we will be having real discussions about advocating for children with special needs and learning disabilities. With me today is Norma Francolo, mom to a child with dyslexia, a special education attorney, and she was chosen as one of New Jersey's best lawyers for families in education law in 2019. Norma, thank you for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having me, Tara. It's a pleasure. Thank you. I know that you have a child with dyslexia. How did you advocate for your child? Well, that's a big question. It was um, many, many years of advocacy. um, And it really starts off with truly understanding what the disability is, understanding how does it get remediated, and how do you go about doing all of that. So the first thing is really educating yourself right from the start. But the only way to truly understand what the steps are and what you're dealing with is to really always start with a good, solid evaluation. Because the evaluation, which is typically a you know, psychological educational evaluation of your child, will give you all the baseline information that you need. And most importantly, it'll give you a roadmap on what to do next. And so that's really what I did. I mean, from the, at the beginning, you know, I saw the signs probably even before preschool, the, you know, from birth on the kids were always, um, on target, you know, they made all their milestones. I didn't see any red flags, but once you, you know, as a, as a new mom, you're always trying to figure out ways to how, you know, sit with your child, you learn like do flashcards and you learn your letters, your numbers and all those things, the basic things that you want them to, to know before they get into kindergarten. And I saw the signs immediately, you know, it was difficult for them to remember the names of letters and sounds, difficulty with phonemic awareness, like blending of sounds and blending, um, breaking down words apart, things like that. Definitely saw as they be, you know, got a little older, um, entering kindergarten, saw the, the poor spelling, things being spelled phonetically. There was like, you could see that when they were orally reading, there was no strategy there on how to read a word. So there, you saw their eye wander to, let's say a picture. And there was a lot of guessing. And as a new mother, you're thinking, well, that's, I guess that's the process. I don't know. But it um, soon, you you see that it's, it's, there's something not right. And you feel it in your gut, but that's all you have. (laughs) So again, you know, it just, the way I started advocating was really just starting from the, the, a good, a good evaluation. Did you run into any obstacles with scheduling an evaluation or finding the right expert to evaluate? That was a little challenging. I mean, initially I went to the school district. It was right before my kids were entering um, kindergarten. So I had them evaluated by the school district and, you know, they were found eligible. And I'm saying they because I have twins. And so, so one was found eligible. The other one was not found eligible. but a lot, you know, a a basic school evaluation is just going to give you some just basic 
basic numbers, basic information, but didn't really explain a lot for me. So that's the reason for a private evaluation. And then the question is, who do I go to? You know, and so I started off with my pediatrician and just going to him and asking him questions. And he was able to, luckily for me, was able to guide me uh, to the right person who did the private evaluation. And that evaluation, I have to say, I looked at numerous times during elementary school, referred back to it many times, just figure out what was the next step. But yeah, so it was... um, I think, you know, for some parents, it, that's, that's a, a, a big hurdle, like trying to figure out who to, who to see and where to go. But for me, I was lucky that I went right to my pediatrician and, and he um, gave me um, really good advice and direction. Good, good. Yeah, I hear in my local community, some parents don't know where to turn. Mm-hmm. I hear talk about there's only one expert in the area who doesn't take insurance. And, you know, parents who don't have the means don't know what to do or don't, don't seem to have any idea. That is really difficult because a lot of this isn't covered by insurance. You can get a lot of, like, let's say a speech and language evaluation covered by your insurance if your insurance covers it. Maybe a psychological evaluation in neuropsych might be covered, but education evaluation is typically not covered by insurance. So, you know, when parents don't have the means, it's really... I mean, you have every right to go to the school district to get an evaluation, do, you know, get a psychological, educational evaluation, speech and language evaluation. And then if those don't provide you with the right amount of inf- information about your child, you need more information, or maybe you don't agree with the, the results of the evaluation, there's always another route, which is an independent education evaluation that a parent can get the district to agree to that evaluation, pay for it, and, and go from there. Did you need to request an IEE? I did not. The district actually agreed to a pri- another evaluation to because the team needed more information to better assess what program and what placement to provide. So I was lucky in that sense that the team was being was proactive and um, and we we got a, a more detailed evaluation, and that in, in turn helped us to um, come up with a program. The only hiccup at that point in time was that the program didn't exist <laughs> in the district. And so I had, luckily, again, I had a lot of luck. I have to say someone was watching over me, but I did have a, a fabulous um resource room teacher in our district who had some training in Orton-Gillingham, which is the methodology that was developed in the 1930s by Samuel Orton and Anna Gillingham, and they developed a way of teaching adults how to read. And so it's been around for many, many years, but yet this, my, my district didn't really have it all set in place. So we ended up agreeing to, you know, a certain amount of hours per week and, you know, one-on-one sessions with a mix of uh, group sessions of reading that was, you know, the ch- our kids were pulled out of the general education class and they received their services that way and they received speech and language services and so forth. And I also, my, you know, my husband and I decided let's hire a private tutor and who was certified 
in the program. And that enabled us to have a great way of communicating with the school district and home. Like, so the, the tutor came in once a week. My kids were um, receiving services four days a week. And, you know, the private tutor collected all the data for us. She shared it with the district and, and was in close contact with teachers and with the resource room teacher. And they were always in communication with each other on a weekly basis. And that really, really, truly helped. And I, I think that's, you know, a great way of experiencing success right? When the school is on board, the child's on board, and the parents are on board. And we're able to communicate what we're seeing in the classroom to the parent, what the parent is seeing at home, and, and sharing that data with the school district. That was a, a great working relationship in the early years. And although we had a rough start at the beginning, you know, trying to figure out the program, how do we do it, who's going to do it, who's going to who's going to implement the program that took us you know a year or two of and that that was a lot of time wasted unfortunately so for us although we had a lot of luck in you know getting a great evaluator getting finding someone in the district who could you know at least start working on a program we had fallen behind two years and the research shows and there's a lot of articles that talk about if you delay you know, remediation, like just a year, you're, you're gonna, it's gonna take two years to get the child up to their peers. If you delay two years, it's five years. And that's what ended up happening to us. It was a five year, you know, uh, catch up of, of, you know, five years of really intensive reading remediation um, for them. Yeah, I was going to ask how long did they receive services total? Yeah, I mean, it started It started in kindergarten, first grade, and they were reading on grade level by fifth grade. But then middle school comes, and what comes after reading is writing. And writing is even harder than <laughs> learning to read. So that was another four years of really intensive writing uh, resource room time. And by the time they were in eighth grade, they were no longer in need of special education services, but only accommodations. So we switched from having an IEP to a 504 plan. And, um, and then high school came and, and a lot of, and that time for me was really, I always called it boot camp because it was a time for me to sort of pull back a little bit and let them ad, learn to advocate for themselves, learn to understand what their disability was and why they needed certain accommodations so that they can in turn advocate for themselves when they were at school. Because I knew that they were on track uh, to go on to college. And once they're in college and they're 18 years old, they're adults and they're on their own. You don't have your parent calling your professor or anything like that. So they really needed to get all those skills those advocacy skills down in high school. And it took a good four years for them to really learn how to do all of that and to be able to stand on their own in college and advocate there. Because once you switch to, after, after you know, 12 years of, uh, 
the K through 12 program, college is a very different animal. It's, you have to reveal yourself and seek out services and accommodations, I should say. So it's really on you to get all of that put into place. So kids are used to their parents or you know, guardian um, doing all of that work for them. Most of the time, kids don't even know that they have a case manager or that they even have an IEP or they don't even know what a 504 is. So, but my kids understood what that was. Um, They learned early on. They attended their IEP meetings and signed their IEP meeting, IEP documents. Not all the time, once in a while, you know, if I felt it was important to have them there or if you know, and it wasn't for the entire period, they would come in for five minutes, then you'd, you know, then maybe the following year, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And by the time they were in eighth grade, they were able to sit through a whole IEP meeting. Incredible. Yeah. Uh, so this was a lot a of work. Tara. Yeah, work. no, I, I know. So, well, we haven't approached middle school yet. But <laughs> hearing from you that this was the long haul. And mm-hmm. aside from keeping them in the loop on their IEP, was there anything else that you did to teach them how to advocate for themselves and support that? It was really about not seeing it as a disability. They didn't refer to it as a disability. They called it what it is, what it was, and it was dyslexia. And, but they didn't really, I don't even think they even shared it with their friends. We definitely didn't share with family. You know, it was just something that was private. And so I think it, I don't know, it just... Um, Every kid is different in how you deal with that piece, but they were able to handle it and and they handle it the way they wanted to handle it, how much they wanted to reveal of it and what they didn't want to reveal. They, you know, they felt that it was important that they had a relationship with their teacher and that their teacher knew what they needed. Um, and and that was the person that they reached out to for, to advocate and to and to ask for guidance and help. But that was really much, that was all it was. They didn't, um, again, they didn't see it as a disability. Good to hear. My oldest is just now starting to ask questions and I'm a little prepared for it, but it is still a sensitive subject to to address. And uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, you're right. I did not say it was a disability. Thank goodness I knew that much. Yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) I said it was a different way of thinking and learning. Yeah. So once they were reading on grade level, you still couldn't rest. You had to focus on writing. And was there anything else that you did outside of school to, to help with the writing? They really, really got that all at school that they would, let's, a couple of times they would, um, they did, I, I recall them, there was like a writing contest and I would always encourage them to do that. I always encourage them to do stuff that was not comfortable, right? So you're always going out of your comfort zone. And I thought that was really important to teach them at an early age to feel that uncomfort, uncomfort <laughs> being uncomfortable and and striving to do better and to kind of force themselves to go out there and be challenged. So I remember doing that a little bit, not, not a lot, but you know, whenever there was an opportunity, I, I, I'd always tell them, Hey, it's, there's this contest. Why don't you think about, you know, trying it out? I'm trying to think what else we do. I mean, we, I, I really, you know, as a, I just remember wanting to be just a mom, right? It, it, you're always their advocate. And that sometimes 
took so much of your time and it took you away from being a parent, just being a parent. So in our free time, I really wanted to just enjoy that free time, just going out to the beach, going out to a, a sporting event, going to the museums and just really enjoying things and looking at what were their strengths as opposed as opposed to always thinking about what is their learning difference or what is their learning challenge and what are we working on today? You know, I tried to, you know, stay away from all of that while we were just a family, trying to be a family. <laughs> I know it is exhausting when you have to spend a lot of time advocating and teaching in the home if, if you need to. Yeah. It, it sounds like you had a a very favorable situation where everybody worked together the school you know even working with you to get a program up and running is yeah i haven't spoken to a parent yet who's had that happen so so uh, well that's that's good to hear that there it you know again i i feel like a lot of it i was very lucky being at the right place at the right time and i think the biggest thing is not hiding the facts but also just i remember going to let's say like you know a pta meeting and the parent was talking about how great and wonderful their kid was reading i I would your initial reaction would be to just keep it to yourself right but at that at one meeting i i did speak up and then another parent said to me oh my gosh my son or daughter isn't reading and they're having they're struggling like and so if i kept quiet then I wouldn't have found the people that I am still friends with today. And we walked the the journey together. We went through the journey together and all our kids either ended up going to college or doing other things, um, other post-secondary options. And, but we were there to support each other. But if I had not opened my mouth and said, well, I'm kind of struggling here, I would never have found, you know, the, three or four friends that I have today that um, really we all helped each other and supported each other all through the journey. Support from other parents is so valuable. Yeah, it is really valuable. And I just remember like going, you know, when I, when you ask about like, how did you, you know, how did you advocate? And, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of reading articles and reading books and going to conferences and, and just putting yourself out there, whatever I saw anything on reading or educational conference, I was there and, and I shared it with other, you know, other parents. And, and that was, you know, that, that was really important to have to, you know, to be able to do that. And it, uh, when you're trying to, you're almost feel like you're, I felt like I was reinventing the wheel every year. You know, I had to I had had a new teacher. I had to explain everything. Then the f- next year was another teacher, and then once you change buildings, it's a whole other experience. So going from elementary to the middle school to high school, those are just so many. There's a lot of transition there, and it's scary. So I was always trying to find that parent that knew it all, <laughs> and or had you know experience had a lot more experience than me, and I would always be very inquisitive, like, well, how was this, and how did you how did you like that, or what was your experience, and what would be a you know what what would you recommend? I would always try and reach out to um, let's say like I remember being in elementary and thinking, well, I wonder what middle school is going to be like. So I made an appointment with the principal in the middle school and, and, and the case manager. And they both looked at me befuddly and saying, 
why are you here? You're not going to be here for another year. <laughs> but I really needed to understand what the building looked like. Uh, what what the pro what programs were there? What did the classrooms look like? Was it lecture style? Was it what was it going to be? And because that would help me to advocate better at the IEP meeting for a program that was in the future, right? You're always planning ahead for the next year. How do you do that? So yeah, so I um you made I made a lot of friends and um, went to a lot of conferences and met great parents, great professionals, and just learn and learned and learned. Did you join or start any groups um, aside from the PTO and the school-related groups? Yeah, I ended up starting, I was at a conference and there was this uh, uh, teacher that sat next to me and I was telling her, she asked me like, oh, why, why are you at this conference? And I explained and I said to her, it's so hard to figure out figure out what the next year brings, right? And I'm always, I'm not clear on that. And she said, well, what you need is a really great special education parent group. And I thought, wow, that's pure genius. <laughs> like, I'm like, really? And she said, yeah. She goes, My, uh, her school district had one. And, and she said, you really should start one. And that's what I did. <laughs> I started a parent group that was for special education parents. And initially, the goal was really just to have a network of parents that we could be a support for each other, we could learn from each other, and that was really all I wanted at the beginning. And then when we, you know, I I found two, um, three other parents who were interested in helping me start it and build it, and together, you know, we had our first meeting and we had 20, 30 people attend. And everyone had similar stories and questions and worries and concerns. And it was a great thing. And from there, we decided, hey, let's, in order to make, it, it wasn't always, I mean, obviously, you're there to help your own child, right? But you should always be looking at systemic changes. You know, how are we going to make the program better? How are we going to improve things? And the only way to do that was to really reach out to the district and to the superintendent or teachers, principals, um, director of special services. And that's what we did. And we came out and we said, you know, this is the group that we want to form. And at the beginning, it was a little, they weren't sure about who we were and what our goals were and what we were about. But we ended up, I mean, it's still in existence and it was started in 2005, 2006. And we're in four, you know, 15 years later, the organization is still there. And we were actually, our group was formed a year after that, the state mandated that each school district have a CPAC group, a special education parent advisory group. So we had already been formed. We had no idea that was coming down the pike, but the district came back and said, hey, do you guys want to be our CPAC group? And we said, sure. And that's how it all started. You were ahead of your time. And yeah. it sounds like your district had a lot of participation. Mine has a small handful of parents who go to any of those meetings. So 
Yeah, no, it's true. There weren't, you know, at the beginning, there was a lot of people, a lot of, but then, you know, everyone's journey is so different, right? We're all individuals. And, you know, there's a different way of advocating for a kid with dyslexia or a kid with autism, a child with social emotional needs. There's so many, you know, things that go into all of that. So it, it all, you know, it's, it was hard trying to make sure that everyone felt that they were part of the group. Right. And so it's, it was, it's challenging because you're, your parents, you're working, you're, you know, you're, you're, it's hard to go out to a meeting at 7.30 at night when you're in the midst of getting dinner on the table, getting school work done, and now you have to go to a meeting. <laughs> but um, again, it, if, if you, if it's important, you'll, you'll make the time. And um, I also had a really great board uh, of parents who sat on the board with me for those 10 years that I was on it. And they were all very similar in that they, of course, were there for their kid, for their child, but they were really interested in making systemic changes. How are we going to make things? How are we going to improve things? How are we going to communicate with the district what our needs are, what the voids are in the district? How are we going to do that? And how are we going to do it diplomatically? And how are we going to deal with the issue of money? How do we, you know, these things cost money. Programs cost money. So we formed the group as a nonprofit 501c3, and we applied for grants, and we were awarded a lot of grants at the beginning, whether it was for equipment or technology or sending a, a teacher to um, get certification on a program or Wilson instruction or whatever it was, we were able to provide that uh, a money source, you know, for the, for the district. Good to hear that. Yeah. How are your children doing today? They're doing really great. They, um, they made it through college. One is, uh, has graduated and is working, has, got, has a job. Uh, which is wonderful. It was, it's always nice to have your kids uh, be independent at some point. And the other twin is um, going to be graduating as well. It was in a five-year program. So they'll be grad, he'll be graduating in 2021. And so they, uh, they made it through and they worked really hard and they deserve everything that they, they got because they, they, it's, it's not enough just for a parent to want it or a teacher to want it. A student has to want it, right? And the only way you're going to get them on board is if you really work with them early on because that's when they're, they're young and you can get them to do a lot of things that they don't really like to do. Going to resource room is not uh, fun, right? But going to resource room while you're in high school is not fun either, right? So getting kids early on, early intervention is key and getting them and making sure that they continue to love learning. I mean, that was the one thing that was consistent throughout when they were little babies and they were in preschool there was always that they showed such a great interest in books in learning in art music sports all that and they had the intellect they just didn't know didn't have that skill to learn how to read and they had to be taught a different way and and they and luckily 
we were able to do that early on. This is a true success story. No, it is. It's it's a lot, you know, it's um it was it sounds like it was it, it sounds so perfect, but the beginning part was really difficult and just there was a lot of mistakes along the way that those first two years we lost a lot of time. I didn't really understand the disability and teachers were they were on board, they just didn't know how, right? They they were willing to do something, but they didn't know how. And I remember one teacher saying, I never had a dyslexic kid in my class. I'm like, wow, that's one in five. <laughs> so you must have had it at some point, but they were always willing, they wanted to help. They just didn't know how. And parents have to understand that you're part of the team and whatever information that you can bring to the table is only gonna help you and your your child and help the team to understand. So. Anytime I went to a conference, anytime I read a book or an article, I shared it. And there's a certain way of sharing, right? It's not saying, hey, you better read this. You should, did you read this? Or, or just saying, hey, this is a great article. I, I learned a lot from here. I wonder if you, are you, would you think, would you be interested in reading it? And, and they would take it. If you told someone, hey, don't you know this? You should know about this person or this program. Here is this book. You should read it. <laughs> It's all in the approach, right? So yeah. I definitely shared a lot of information and they in turn were grateful. And then also sometimes they would send, you know, send me an article and say, hey, I just saw, I read this article. I saw this, there's a, you know, something on channel seven tonight. You should really check it out. I heard about this and it was very, it was collaborative. I think um, once, once you, you can, you see that a teacher's on board again, and a parent is on board and willing to work with the district and the child is eager to learn and wants to wants to do it so desperately you're going to all going to work you're going to work together good to hear that you were able to work together and were successful in the end that's a real result i would call that a real parent advocating and getting real results thank you so much for joining me today norma uh, thank you for having me tara you're I hope welcome. this helps someone out there and I'm always available to talk to anyone who's just starting out on their journey. It's really important to get a parent when they're really just at the beginning of the journey as opposed to later on. That's why we're putting the word out. Okay. Uh, if anyone would like to contact Norma, her website is www.franc.com. L-L-O-L-A-W.com or email Norma at FrancoloLaw.com and this will be in the show notes as well. Thank you, Norma. Thank you, Tara.